passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into deep detail on every single pro wrestling event that's ever taken place in Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each time. This time, we're looking at uh, the year 2013. And joining me once more is uh, John Pollock. I'm back, Chris. It's been, oh my goodness. 13 years, 20, no, more than that, like 20 years. It's been 23 years since we last spoke uh, after that great uh, 1990 uh, where the Tokyo Dome was thriving. Vince McMahon and uh, Baba were uh, briefly on the same page and now here 2013. What a a different era we have just uh, jumped into. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Lots of ups and downs happens in the meantime um yes new japan went more, to, more downs than ups i would i would guess over uh, over this I, I don't know i don't know i don't know maybe immediately prior to this period there were a fair few downs but there were there were a lot of ups in the in the uh in the 20-year interim but the um, 90s were the, the 90s were very kind yes i guess you can uh, you can juxtapose the two decades there was a uh, a lot to to glean from that 23 year period sure sure the 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 zeros the the latter half of the zeros were were a little bit harsh but uh now we were pulling out of things here and this was like the the first year um since bushy road took over so like that was right after the the last episode the last wrestle kingdom show and um so you're starting to see things have a positive effect i guess and and business start to to turn around and um it's very much i think now you know if you were looking back you would see a show that's broadly familiar you know i don't think there's there's anything that that really makes you scratch your head and go what except for perhaps like our, our opening match on this card with with bob sap and akabono in it but uh be that as it may what what were you doing in in 2013 john what what sticks out to you five years ago well the first that would be most notable is for the first time ever i could watch a tokyo dome show live because ah. this was once they had introduced uh ustream which to me is kind of an underplayed uh factor in new japan's growth uh for People like myself in North America who just did, now suddenly had access to be able to watch all of the major shows. And I believe the first one was King of Pro Wrestling the prior October with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki. And I mean, that's when my coverage of New Japan began because now it was suddenly accessible. And so this was the first Dome show. And I was very much uh, just excited for the fact that. Uh, I could wake up and watch the show live and not have to wait for it to show up online or trade for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, just, that does make a, make a big difference. It, it did strike me uh, on the lead up to this that probably me and WH did a podcast. In fact, I know we did. Did yes. Podcast of the show, and I was like, "Should I go and find what we were talking about?" And I was like, "No, it's it's." I don't know if you'll find it. I think it. I think it's been uh, blasted oh. into uh, the ether. That's um, yeah. just all up and up and smoke, Chris. Just memories. Just memories. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Damien Abraham was on that show. Actually, might have been yes, because you guys started the show just after the prior G1, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been I right after was- the 2012 G1. Yeah, may, yeah, I think so because I think we wound up doing stuff with you and like we because I remember we talked about like the the best of the super juniors that year, the Taguchi one, 
And okay. I think like we we did a couple of things back and forth, whereas like me and WH and 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 you are over in Canada, and then you were just like, "This doesn't make sense. Why don't you two just do a show on your own?" And we were like, "Oh yeah, that, that probably works." Um, yeah, so so we wound up doing that, and um, yeah, oh great days, twenty thirteen. Um, what was I doing in twenty thirteen? My son was born. My eldest son was born in twenty thirteen. I, I had just. Uh... My, uh, me and my wife, we had just gotten engaged the prior month. So I actually remember that this card, I believe that same day we were going to look for a venue for our wedding, if I'm not mistaken. So there's some some exact where was I? <laughs> January 4th, 2013, because uh, we would have both been on holidays from work. So that would have... Uh, that would have been, yes, our, our activity. Tokyo Dome and then go find a, a wedding venue. Right, right. It's probably, yeah, it speaks to something that, that we remember the wrestling events first and then like think about, you know, when when, oh, when did I get, ma- get married? When was my like first or second child born? Well, it was right. It was between Wrestle Kingdom, whatever, and King of Pro Wrestling 2017 or whatever. Yeah. That's, uh, did you attend this show? I was at the show, yes, yeah, um, yeah. I was me and WH. We were both at the show, and we were on the floor. And it was the only time that I bought floor tickets because, yeah, we were we were on the floor, and we were towards the back of the floor section, which is the worst to have like floor seats and be like kind of far back. Um, and we were behind two female um tanahashi fans with very very big hair and that was oh boy day. um but uh yeah we did also um yeah because we were towards the back of the the floors we were in front of the dugout and um uh kento was there so like he was he was watching the the shibata match and then and so like we were just aimlessly looking around it's like oh kento's like right behind us um, wow yeah so yeah yeah fun fun times um and yes some some big well i don't know of, of course like at the, at the top of the show was akada and tanahashi and that, and that was a big deal um the intercontinental title match like going into this show was was something we we didn't really expect it expect as much from it and you know i, I think it, like it it really over delivered um, oh yeah but uh just for a slice of time and a slice of weird um what i wanted to talk about first was the opening uh tag match which saw such luminaries as as mvp and nakanishi and strongman and bob sap and uh yujiro um so a, a real kind of bizarre open to to wrestle kingdom it's like here's like the first wrestle kingdom of, of the new era so we're going to remind you of of when bob sap and akibono were were headlining the tokyo dome for a little bit yeah and i think that that's kind of the, the reference point here is that those that weren't following um k1 at the time that akibono and bob sap had their new year's eve fight on in 2003 uh just what a cultural event that was with 53 million people watching that fight and i think that that was i mean largely continued their their careers beyond that i mean that was kind of the the reference point for for these two when you're looking at their historical significance in japan but yeah this eight man is just like this weird mishmash of all these parts of New Japan at the time and just the the special attractions and Bob Sapp and Aki Bono, you have Strongman in there. And this is kind of the the send off for MVP as well, because this was, you know, he was looked upon as their big breakthrough star when they were trying to get into the U.S. market. And that U.S. expansion in 2011 didn't quite have the legs that the the current one uh, appears to have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it, it really. Yeah, it. it they were sort of on there on their own steam, but they were also like working with Jersey All Pro Wrestling, which is kind of, you know, that, that that's a big step, first of all, from like Jersey All Pro to like cooperating with, with Ring of Honor. But um, yeah, I think MVP was, you know, I, I, he just didn't 
really gel with with the product at the time i i, I don't think as, as well as he would have liked to um but it did remind me of like the the best post-match reaction uh to anything was was mvp tweeting after this match like and immediately afterwards as well never have i been paid so much to do so little yeah uh, this he, he really does nothing in this match i remember seeing that tweet before i i guess it must have been yeah like it was it was so quick right afterwards and you really got the sense that the uh, mvp in new japan this relationship was was likely uh coming to a conclusion as as would another uh, relationship that we will probably talk about later when we get to the junior heavyweights. Ah, yes, of course, yeah. That I mean, one thing that was another sort of slice of slice of time and slice of the time uh, at this point was like the uh, Shinpei Nogami getting hounded by Tsukashi Izuka. Um and this was kind of the the peak of that. So, like, what's weird is this this opening match is like Nogami doing commentary like on a live headset to the live crowd from from the ramp you know because he's showing up late to avoid his car um and then when uh you know when all the baby faces get get the win like Nogami gets the shot to to throw the worst clothesline of all time on on his at the end to to send to well to start the show kind of happy but um yes a, a, a great sort of moment in time was was Nagami getting Doraemon painted on him and and being horribly maltreated. Um, yeah, yeah. It almost became the struggle to come up with new ways to torture this poor man on every show with uh, Izuka. And th- I mean, this went on forever. Uh, this mm. this feud between the two. It did. It did. It really went on for a good long time, and then it seemed for a little bit. Like Isco was threatening to mess around with Kevin Kelly, I think, like recently, um, and I thought that that would be a, a whole thing. But um, yeah, yeah, no still. sell it, Chris. If anyone tries stuff with you, don't encourage them because it's they'll just, just yeah, they'll try, just try. you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Well, you try not to be seen, you know. I think, and I think like they very, very deliberately put us, especially in Corcoran, like uh, in in the blue corner where typically it's when where your Minoru Suzuki is and your Isco's. Will will come out, assuming they they come out the corner. Um, yeah, in, in all seriousness, like I I didn't really enjoy like the comedy of putting your your main announcer in this role on every show, and mm. he'd get you know if they they'd throw garbage on him or you know take his clothes off, and it just became, you know, I, I can see the appeal uh, a few times that they tried this stuff, but y- you overdo it, it becomes like a Michael Cole heel situation where I I just don't think it's where you put your lead announcer into this kind of comedy role and that's where he was here and then kind of getting his uh comeuppance at the end here when nogami got involved here with nakanishi at the end as as you mentioned yeah possibly and i but i think it's it's that and the fact that he was uh you know nogami would would get very very fired up at this point in time and you know i think it it was a thing of this this feud would be what got nogami ridiculously you know um famous i guess in a in a in a sort of unfair sense with the western fans because you know a lot of western fans would just be hearing japanese announcers and not knowing who is who um, right and now okay here's a face and we know his name he's shinpei ogami he must be the guy that calls every single like, new japan show you know and so like now it comes down to the the wrestling server awards or whatever and nogami gets gets you know, a lot of votes every time and it's like he does he's not on the show you know yeah it's just it's ridiculous um but uh yeah it was as soon as someone's got a face and a name it's like oh it must be him you know right <laughs> yeah so i th- I think like in a way nogami still dines out on that every single year so it's that that feud with um uh, with iska but um but hey, yes. chris were you were you aware of uh bob Sapp? he was in the middle of quite the run in his legitimate fighting career at the time, uh, he was in the midst of a 12-fight losing streak in MMA. However, things were shining a lot brighter in the kickboxing world because he had just ended a 10-fight losing streak in 2012 with a very rare victory uh, before his next fight. Uh, and this, of course, would be the setup. Uh, him and Aki Bono would have another fight in 2015 on New Year's Eve. So, uh, Bob Sapp uh, at this time, I mean, just ending a 10 fight losing streak in one sport, hoping to snap a 12 fight losing streak in another. This is a uh, this was quite the uh, the time period for one Bob Sapp. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, it was. I mean, Yujiro brings up in like his his pre match promo. Um, you know that that fight ten years ago is. Uh, you remember Bob? Bob Sapp knocked Akibono out with one punch. He's going to do it again. Um, but uh, yeah, the the level certainly the level of celebrity that Bob Sapp had. Um, you know, very very different. You know, in 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 that span of of ten years, of like ten episodes ago when we were talking about Sap Mania and his amazing hip hop career. Um, but uh, yes, of course, Bob Sap um, would have been seen in cinemas as well. So th- this would have been a, a, a surge of fame for Bob Sap and everybody on this card. This was one thing that I'd forgotten until I started rewatching it for for this uh, this podcast because they were, they're hyping it on commentary that um, there was this year's Wrestle Kingdom. I think it was the next year's as well. They gave it a limited cinema run. Um, at the end of January in 3D. And so, like, occasionally they, you, you'd hear the announcers talk about, oh, you know, you're going to see all of this action in 3D in the cinemas. Look, it must be amazing. Um, I did not watch this in 3D, but they, they were sort of especially hyping it with the, the junior heavyweight uh, title match. It's like, oh, these, these bodies are going to be flying into your lap. You know, like that, that kind wow. Of- Imagine seeing that that knee strike from from Sakuraba to Nakamura in 3D. Yes, yeah, that that would have been something. But um, but still, this this three way um, in 3D for the junior heavyweight title. This was um, something I was. I remember being oh, kind of a little bit let down by that. Oh, it's a three way, you know, because like um, my mind initially went to. You know, Ibushi and Debit from a couple of years before this, um, where it was really the the high point of of that year's card, and and like Ibushi and yeah, Ibushi and Debit was was definitely the most sort of interesting prospect at this time. Um, but here's Loki and that to to make it a three way, and and you know, I mean, either one, it would have been two really good singles matches. Um, but as so often happens with three way matches, it's like two really good singles matches or you know <laughs> it would have been better than this this three-way situation but anyway, i'm, you know, I'm the same as you i always prefer the singles match over the three-way i mean i don't get excited about three-way matches regardless of the level of talent in there it's just mm. to me i just enjoy especially on like a big show just your your straight up singles match that i i just think has more broader appeal yeah and it's it's one of those uh, as well like i think most people in wrestling i i don't I don't know about you, John. I haven't spoken to any wrestler that says, I love three ways. Never. Never. Yeah. Uh, other than it's just it adds more complications to the match because mm. you always have to account for the person that's not involved. And when it, and then you have an extra body for certain sequences as well. I think it's just an added headache. It's it's part of it's part of pro wrestling. So you have to be adaptable to these multi-person matches. But I think the more bodies you throw in there, you're you're also increasing the the chance of of accidents happening and just having to account for that that added body as well. So I think I think wrestlers would have it the same way that would just prefer the straight up singles match. Yeah, sure. I um, Ibushi said to me that you know if if it was a three way or a four way, he'd rather a four way because you can have sort of it's effectively two singles matches at that point, um, right? And break uh, them off that. Easily, yeah, yeah, but but three, it was it was a little bit clunky and uh, visually a little bit strange because you had uh Loki in the hitman suit uh for this one. Um, and I remember that there was strange, strange rumors because this turns out to be you know Loki's uh done with New Japan after this. Um, but I remember some some rumors being that that it wasn't okay for him to be in the hitman costume and that's why he got fired, which is uh, a ridiculous um, <laughs> a ridiculous rumor to come up with. Um, but uh, yes, what do you think of Loki's presentation here? Uh, to, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I remember a lot of people afterwards saying like, oh, he disrespected the match by using the suit. I thought it was really cool to be watching this guy do a low key match with this yeah. suit on. Like I was, I was more or less impressed at what he was doing in the suit. Like this was not a guy that was going out and just like dialing it down and wasn't into the match. He was fully invested in it. 
And I mean, it's it's a look that he's maintained since. I mean, his whole last TNA run, it was doing the same in the same setup. Like it's no longer the the baggy pants, low key uh, shirtless look. It's he's really taken over the, this suit that it's something different. Um, so I, I wasn't that negative on it at all. I remember that night on the law, we were chatting with uh, with Dave Meltzer and I just made the joke about Dave, was that the best match you've seen involving a guy in a suit? And I just said it like off the cuff as a joke. And then Dave, like his head starts dialing back to like any matches that have involved guys in suits. And he's like, yeah, it probably is. Ah, but then there was uh, Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan and their tuxedo match <laughs> right. in Mid-South. So I can't say it was the <laughs> right. best match involving someone in a suit. So uh, I deferred to Dave there on uh, the the official rankings of best performances while wearing a suit. But I thought Lokey's is up there. It was uh, – yeah. I, I thought – I, I thought it worked. Overall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I thought it was it was it was good for for what that was. But um, yeah, obviously, like in the end, it it comes down to Debit and Ibushi, and and you get that that top rope bloody Sunday again, which was kind of a, a callback to two years prior. And then when Ibushi finally does beat Debit in the dome, it's it's when he counters um, that move. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think like this. It, it was fun, but it was yeah. Again, it was it was sort of slightly harmed by it by being a, th- a three way. And then uh, Loki decides that he doesn't want to go anywhere near Fukushima, um, you know, because he's he's worried about radiation spillage. Which I suppose that's still kind of a thing in Japan. So you know, I think if you're um, of that mentality, then then um, maybe it's best for you to leave. But uh, you know, that that was the end of Loki in, in New Japan. Loki is always one of those figures. Like I've always been a big, big fan of Loki's, and I've always just thought that he's been his own worst enemy at times. And yeah. I think it's it's always a tough balancing act because we look at pro wrestlers, and a lot of the times we look at these guys that they're independent contractors that are not treated as such. And I think that Loki is someone that understands his value and pushes his weight around at times. And I think it's it's. It's a very delicate balancing act that, yes, you want to be able to uh, maintain your worth and your value to a company while while still having uh, the ability to be a team player. And I think that Loki, he's made a lot of decisions in his career that I think have stunted his career. And as we look back at the last 20 years, I think there's a lot of different scenarios of what if what if Loki had been around in New Japan as a regular in their junior heavyweight division these past five to six years where what if Loki had stuck around in impact where he could have been built around as a top star uh, so many different scenarios with, with Loki and it's kind of interesting to see that this guy has been everywhere including the WWE of all places and I, I think he's a guy that just has a very very strong uh, opinion of himself which every performer at a high level should and it's it's having that that relationship with promotions. I think there's a trust factor as well that mm. at times I think he lacks with certain promoters that he's not going to be put in positions that he believes he's above. Sure, sure. Um, so, yes, Loki on the way out, Kazushi Sakuraba on the way in in, well, in 2013. So he came in in the, the autumn of 2012 or right as the, the G1 was wrapping up on the on the G1 final date. Um, and him and Shibata, they were back as sort of as laughter seven for a, for a little bit and a few tag matches there. And um, it was the feeling at the time was... Yeah, you know, a it was very very confusing, you know, because I, I mean a lot of people didn't know, and it was it was a real surprise. Um, but also, I think from what I remember, the feeling at the time was like Shibata, yes please, like Sakuraba, ooh, don't know how that's gonna go because like the the scars of Enochism were were still reasonably fresh at this point, you know. I mean, you know, Choshu had taken over uh, the the company creatively in in late 2005 and that was really kind of the the end of the enochism era um but that's only sort of six seven years prior and we're now at the point where the company is turning around but here's kind of a guy that was calling back to that because his greatest success was in pride you know um and people kind of forgot that because of his uwf backgrounds you know 
Kazushi Sakuraba is, is still a hell of a pro wrestler. You know, he, he wasn't just an MMA guy. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, people forget uh, Sakuraba's origin. They just kind of fast forward to to his pride career, uh, his pride run uh, and overlook the wrestling aspect. And I, I think you nailed it on the head. Like this was so fresh off all of the Inoki stuff that and with with Kidani, I think that there was still a lot of skepticism of what is this guy's philosophy? Because the early uh, moves are bringing in Shibata and Sakuraba. You're you're placing Sakuraba against one of your top stars in Nakamura. That is this going to just be a retread that the shooters are going to come in and decimate our stars at a time when it seemed that like the worst was over. We had recovered from rock bottom and now we were actually seeing some some actual growth heading into this Tokyo Dome show. Um, I think people were very much watching this show with a curious eye towards what is the what, what is going to be the direction here. And, you know, there was all the talk at the time, too, that Kidani was very much influenced by Eric Bischoff and that this guy was, was going he was originally like scheduled to be an on screen uh like manager uh, with Sakuraba and Shibata that is this going to be someone that's just taking bad Western ideas along with a kind of the, the shooter first mentality. And that was ultimately not going to be borne out. But I think that that fear was very real at this time. Yeah. I think like it's something that you see whenever there, whenever there are changes in a, in an office, you know, and I think again, like it's this thing that, I think, like, as wrestling fans, there's such a difficult uh, distinction where, like, people don't really know much about, like, the office end of things, you know, and and um, as soon as a name comes from the office, it's it's like the same with, with Shinpei Nogami, it's like, oh, here's a name, whereas, like, all these announcers were nameless and faceless to me before, oh, here's, here's a name that I recognize, so he must be in charge of everything. Um, right. So it was the same, I think, with Kidani, and and it was, to an extent, I think, with, with New Japan earlier in in the summer and early autumn, of like, oh, here's, here's a name that's, that's different, and here's some changes that are happening, so uh, let's put one and one, two and two together and say, you know, the same person did everything and and blah 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 and because it's something different then it's inherently something i hate um but uh, it's a great point i think it's something that i, I think harold may is going through it that every move is going to be heavily dissected and scrutinized because we we see this change and now what is this change going to be and what is what are the what are the whether small or big they're going to mm. be under a microscope and i i think that any executive or creative member that is it's it's publicly known uh, that that change has occurred you're going to be looking for evidence of change yeah exactly and, and that's you know i know that's not particularly you you can't call the fans out on that because uh you know that's that's just the way that the news exists you know and and it, at the same time i think if you are like a, a visible corporate figure um, then that's a really shitty part of the job, you know, because uh, inevitably you're going to be um, blamed for things that aren't your fault or, you know, things that are, there's going to be a lot of sort of half-truths that, that are going around and, and that proves to be damaging, but that's kind of, it comes with the territory. But I think, like, at any rate, um, when they sort of put this card out, like Sakuraba and Nakamura, they, you know, I remember me and WH at the time going, oh, not sure about this one. And, um, I can't think of of a card, at least in in a match in in recent years in in the Tokyo Dome, um, more that there was such a gap between expectation and and what it delivered and and how much the match over delivered compared to what I was expecting. I was not expecting anything in this match. I was very down on Sakuraba in such a prominent role in the Tokyo Dome. I was a big fan of Sakuraba in his heyday, but uh, pulling off uh, a match with Shinsuke Nakamura in the Tokyo Dome, like I went in with, with very, very diminished expectations. So I was definitely in that camp that was overwhelmed by what we got in this match. And it was a credit to, to both guys. And I think that, that that knee strike that we talk about, I think that was such a central part of this match. It, it played off of uh, played off of the past, and that seemed to be the turning point where everyone watching realized uh, that, hey, these guys definitely have... Uh, an incredible match laid out and it got the the investment of that audience live 
Yeah, it's funny as well because like Nakamura goes for that. It you know does the same sort of shoot in the knee and like the Ignatia of knee that they they do. Mm-hmm. He did in pretty much every single one of his Tokyo Dome matches from here. And, you know, it was funny because um, to to sort of give the game away a, a little bit, I'm re- recording this with you a week after we did, um, you know, I recorded the 2016 episode last week uh, with Joe Lanza. And, uh, you know, Nakamura and AJ did the same spot, you know, of doing, oh, it's one last time for Nakamura in the Tokyo Dome. So one last time I'm going to shoot and you're going to knee me in the face. But um, I think that, I think times, this one people this just one, remember yeah. more because it is Sakuraba here. Like this is yes. I, I think that that carries a lot more weight with people that with Sakuraba here is a guy that is viewed as as real here that it has yeah, a, a yeah. different yeah level to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that meant an awful lot, yeah. Um, and it, it pays off that, you know, I mean, Nakamura does does a lot in, in return, you know, I mean, like, there's where Sakuraba has, has Nakamura in, a, in an armbar and, like, he's, Nakamura stands up and just, like, stamps on his face for a good bit until, until he lets go. Um, you know, it, it does get, get very, very, very physical. Um, apart from that, the only thing I had... The other thing I had in my notes here was like some girl in the crowd that really, really liked Nakamura. Um, <laughs> so it just seemed every like once every minute or 45 seconds ago uh, or so, like it would be this girl just screaming Nakamura like, for the entire duration of this match. Um, there, but, there was yeah. one G1 match and I can't remember yes. what year it was. And it's just embedded in my head of this woman screeching every couple of seconds Shinsuke and it just went for the whole match this match is like 14 minutes and I must have heard Shinsuke 50 times that to this day when I hear his name I hear that woman screeching in my head yes I remember maybe it's the same woman she was just traveled to all of his matches perhaps so perhaps so I think I think I remember that because, like, I don't know, but maybe I did a podcast with you about that show. It, we, we probably it did. I, I remember this yeah. so vividly. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took over. It's the only thing I could remember. I don't even remember who the match was with involving Nakamura, no. but just can remember this no. screeching. And it was a very quiet venue, too. So it was that much yeah, more no, accentuated. Yeah, I remember because I remember it would have been Shizuoka in 2015 i think yeah because i remember saying to you i'd like she's because like that's what the name shizoka means it's like silent hill and i was like oh yeah it was a really quiet cut except for this woman that really loved shinsuke nakamura yeah wow anyway <laughs> so yeah we're, we're sort of this was i think it was not only a, a key thing for nakamura outperforming the expectations and, and Sakuraba really outperforming the expectations. And Sakuraba, I think, um, you know, looking back in hindsight, his last run um, with, with New Japan was had a lot of really, really good high, high points in there. And there was, like, some times where, okay, I'm going to team up with Toriyano against, like, you know, against Izuka and, and we're going to take it easy for, for a bit. And there was a lot of that. Um, but I think, you know, especially in those big match scenarios with Dakimura, with Suzuki... Um, with Shibata at Dominion, which was um, you know one of my favorite matches of of that year, um, like Sakuraba like definitely brought it during during that period because he had the graces as well to deal with at, at one point in the following year. But, so. Yeah, I, I did. I don't know how 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 fondly the the graces are are remembered for for that that involvement yeah. at the time. But I think that you look back in hindsight, this is where we look at, you know, Shibata and Sakuraba are brought back in 2012 and it's met with so much skepticism and what are they doing here? And history bears out that I think it turned out to be fantastic. I think Sakuraba was a pleasant surprise for what he brought and they knew the limitations. And with Shibata, I mean, how, how could you possibly question that decision? I mean, a, a very tragic end uh for Shibata in 2017 but up until that point I mean he was on the doorstep of main event status and completely earned at that time I mean he was to me a home run in terms of uh what what they got out of him versus the uh somewhat you know the questions that surrounded him in 2012 those were erased I would say within a year I think people understood that this was an incredible addition to the roster 
Well, speaking of questions uh, quickly erased, um, that definitely <laughs> is something that could be describing uh, Kazuchika Okada as well. And like we just sort of came off on the, the last episode of 2012 of Okada coming back at, at Wrestle Kingdom 6, um, having a kind of, well, I mean, let's face it, kind of bad performance with, with Yoshihashi immediately coming out and challenging Tanahashi and uh, nobody taking him seriously at all. And yet within, certainly by the end of the summer, like I think everybody knew that Okada was, was the real deal. You know, I think like uh, that, that first match with Tanahashi at, at New Beginning was good, but I think like there was a lot of people going, ah, you know, because he was wrestling Tanahashi, you know, so of course. Um, and it was really, I think, like the next month he had uh, Naito in Korokuen, um that the people were really sort of sitting up and, and taking notice. And I think by the end of, of the summer, then Okada had arrived. So within six months for Okada, like the, the separation from like, what the fuck to, oh, this guy's amazing. Um, that's that's pretty almost unprecedented, I think. I agree. Um, when you watch uh, Okada's performance the, the prior year in 2012 at the Dome and, uh, you know, the challenge at the end, I, I didn't even look like the guy's look. I thought his hair looked so goofy that mm. this was a guy just playing this, uh, you know, the, the Okada character, like the Rainmaker, at first glance, I, I think it was very jarring to many people. And then you put the title on him and you're ending this you know tremendous title run with Hiroshi Tanahashi. So there was... Uh, myself included, I was like, what is the idea here? And I think that this is going to be the hallmark uh, of Ghetto as a booker in seeing something in Okada and it, trusting in his vision. And it played itself out that, I mean, it, it seems ridiculous today to be looking at there being any questions regarding Okada. But uh, he was someone that, you know, if your first exposure to him was during his excursion over here for TNA, and then this guy is being brought back to defeat Hiroshi Tanahashi for the title. Uh, there was lots of skepticism about what what are they doing here? And by the Tokyo Dome the following year, I think those questions had all been answered and silenced. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, it was this this match was was great. And you kind of have the the trilogy of, of Tokyo Dome matches, and really from 2012 to 2016, that's a neat. It's a cute four year thing, and I mentioned it in the in the book that you know in our in Japanese narratives, you have four acts and like this sort of, this sort of first era of the Okada Tanahashi rivalry was, was perfectly four years in, in length. Um, and so this moving into its second year was just like the, the establishment of, of both of these guys. And it's interesting how they, they established themselves and they established like Okada and Tanahashi as a match in the Tokyo Dome. So it's, um, it's not like, I mean, you can watch any of those matches individually um, on their own and they stand up. But it's also like if you watch them having watched the, the 2013 match re recently, um, then you, you get all of these uh, sort of callbacks to, to moments here. You know, where there was the, the, the moment here where like Tanahashi backs up and, and they go for the, the he winds up going for a big sling blade on, on the ramp. Um, which was a spot they they go back to in 2015 and 2016, you know, where where you know he goes for the the sling blade on the ramp and it, it gets countered and and whatnot. So I mean, there was a a lot of little details, you know. I think like Tanahashi and and Omega going into the the Tokyo Dome uh, next year, you know, they, there's a lot of Tanahashi uh, kind of questioning omega's style of or questioning omega's philosophy of of leaving too much kind of out of the ring and making it very difficult and very inaccessible if you're just watching the match um but tanahashi does that as well you know he kind of like leaves a lot of these details in where you go oh i remember that you know um but they're they're just there to reward i think the the fans that that know that and that watch those and pick up on those details yeah i i, th I think it's um like an underplayed element of some of these big matches is those little details that is every fan watching going to get it? No, but it's such a nice reward for those that are following it at that level that you can piece it together and you know that the performers have you in mind. And, you know, a lot of times I feel that, that 
we dumb down things so much for audiences that it's this idea that oh, if we don't explain it in such uh, plain terms, uh, everyone's going to miss it. I think at times fans are insulted by that. I mean, Mm. something as so simple as every year at the Survivor Series, we've got to put the one team in all their red shirts so that we know who's on what team and the other in blue. It's like, I think at a time it's it's somewhat insulting might be too strong a term, but I think at times audiences aren't given enough credit for how they're following this. And if some miss it, they miss it. But it's such a great little uh, reason to pay attention to those details when you're rewarded for them, as opposed to going in with the notion, oh, no one's going to remember this. So we're just starting from scratch. And mm. Tanahashi and Okada does not have the legs this has, I feel. And you have a very long, multi-year story that's crafted that isn't going to be upset by the whims of one person stating the afternoon of the show, ah, this, everyone believes this one, this guy's going to win. Let's switch the finish, even though it makes mm. no sense to the longer story. I think there's a great argument for for patience and and respect for your audience that is kind of hallmarks of this feud for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think like another hallmark is um, Tanahashi changing who Okada is as a wrestler. And it's kind of funny to, it's kind of interesting to see like Tanahashi Okada here in the Tokyo Dome as opposed to like the the last match in the Tokyo Dome where like a lot of this match I think is about um, Tanahashi being much more direct and Okada being um, kind of too flash, you know, and that young sort of brashness in, in his character that slowly gets whittled away. But it's like everything, you see it in Okada's submission work where he does like stuff like the, the deep in debt and like all of these like really, really intricate lucha submissions um, that he picked up in Torimon. And like Tanahashi's response to that is just, is a dragon screw. You know, it's something very, very simple. Um, and I think that's, that's one aspect of it. And, um, then from, from there, like the increasing thing of like Tanahashi teaching Okada that you, you kind of have to be a prick to win in the Tokyo Dome. And like Tanahashi's always a little bit heelish in all of these, these main events with, with Okada. And I think like that's the, the lesson there that he imbues in him is, is that you, you have to be a little bit evil to, to win at this point, which makes, I think, again, like the, the 2019 Wrestle Kingdom match kind of an interesting prospect with, with Kenny Omega. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's, that's a great little element uh, among many that's inserted into that match. And, and I think you can also take some of those uh, traits of Okada and seeing him stumble along the way to eventually reaching that that level uh, in Naito as well, that you see mm. that the, the guy gets to a point. It's like uh, the fighter that is on this incredible run but gets to that championship match and, and just can't win the big one and has to make that one final alteration that is going to get him into that into that prestigious championship, you know, company. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that's all I had from from 2013 in Tokyo. Was there was there anything else on this card that, that took your fancy when you were you were looking through it? Um, I mean, it's just uh, to me, it's I go back to the fact that this is when New Japan to me started to become way more accessible to people. And uh, that's a lot of what I associate with this card. And through Ustream, I mean, they started broadcasting all the shows. And then the following August, they made all of the G1 available. You could, which is kind of crazy when, if you're someone that's just been signing up for New Japan World, is that the first year the G1 was available, you could get the entire tournament for $150. Or you could sign up for an early bird special of $110 for all of the shows. And I just remember when they launched New Japan World and I was just floored. I was like, you're going to charge $10 a month? That's it? (laughs) What a steal. And, you know, I can't imagine that there were were tons of people buying these shows on Ustream, but I'm sure they made like a decent amount of coin for those Chi ones every year because I dumped $110 on it for – uh, 2013 and 14 when they were putting it out there. So uh, I, I think that Ustream, it was a great gateway for a lot of people to at least get um, to be following New Japan in real time as opposed to months down the road when or, you know, at least weeks down the road, I guess, in the digital age uh, to follow it. And I think that that made the 
the advancements of the you know fandom in North America that much more accentuated by the time you had a streaming service to launch. Yeah, I think like this was the really the period, especially like from 2013, is where things got so hot from a quality standpoint. Um, and you know, especially like those G ones that that you talked about, where those were just such an insanely hot shows and very, very like busy tournament, like terrible for the the guys involved. I mean, like hell for the guys involved. Um, but like really, really intense um tournament action there, and uh, you know, it was just a matter of okay, like the quality is there now. It's just a matter of getting it visible, and uh, you know that that took a little bit of of extra time. Um, and perhaps that's that, well, I mean, I could be, yeah, that, that is still something that, that does need work here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was like the pieces starting to, to fall together at this point. One question for you. What did you think about the, the decision? Like this is, you know, one of Shibata's first major matches back is, is losing to Togi Makabe. Did you think that was a finish almost that it was, seeing how Shibata reacts to this and as much as a signal to the locker room that this guy is here to do business. Yeah, I mean, it, it that was possibly part of it. Yeah, I, I think like when you look at Maccabi as well, like Maccabi being um, a real representative of... M- much higher in the pecking order than he is today. I and mean, yeah, at, the, at yeah. this point in his career, he he was higher up. So you, you kind of have to th- think about that. Um, but also like, yeah... I, I think as well, also, as, as she better at, at this point, he was still a freelancer, and that's kind of an, another aspect to, to look at of like, right. um, you know, we're going to, he's here, we're going to use him, but we're not going to use him too much, but, you know, and, and we're also going to test the waters. But that was a big thing with Shibata over 2013, was him, like, really earning his spot back you know, with, on a personal level, I think with, with everyone. And you got those, um, the, especially with Tanahashi, you know, and Tanahashi became the symbol of that by the end of the year, um, with the G1 match and, and with the match that September as well. Um, September, I think it was November, actually, my power struggle match, but, um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's where, okay, now he's, he's back in the fold now, but it, it took, yeah, it took you know, more than a year at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you that it was, um, you know, and this kind of began when we did all those G1 previews. I can't remember how many years in a row we all picked Shibata to win the G1. It just <laughs> yeah, it just right. became like so, the yeah. annual like, well, we're going to pick Shibata. And it was just you just kind of got pessimistic as the years uh, continued that uh, he's, he's probably not going to win the G1. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> that, that was the thing. Yeah, possibly the year that he got hurt. That was his year. Maybe yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't going to be. Um, you know, it wasn't going to be the the adventure winner that time. It was. It was meant to be Shibata, in like in it, the hearts of all of us. <laughs> it's such a sad what if because you know it's no exaggeration that he was right there when I mean just a phenomenal match that he has uh, with Okada. That you know, if he's not hurt in that match, if that one spot does not occur. I feel like he's he's there at that point in in very rare company at that time as so, someone that is a true uh, main event level New Japan pro wrestler. And that's where Shibata had, had arrived to me by 2017. And it's, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate to look at that he had uh, such an incredible run still still to have in his career. Sure, sure, and at the, but at the same time, you know, the he seems to be in a in a good place now, you know, yeah. and, and is doing some tremendous work now with with everybody in in you know both sides of the border. I think like in in LA and and in Tokyo with with the the younger guys, um, and so yeah, he's he's sticking around for for a good time yet, and who knows, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe at one point, you know, I think is always sort of leaving the door open of. of yeah, perhaps he he might get in there once once more. But um, yeah, I I mean, if not, then I think like you know, it, 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 his his story still still ends on a on a happy note, you know. And I think it's great as well. Like we we have that that documentary um, series. I I don't know if you've seen the, the yeah series, yeah yeah that they have yeah. up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's that's just a sort of great look and at, at you know what he's been doing over there, which is uh, really tremendous. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, John, thanks for, for coming on. Um, next time, 
We'll be looking at uh, 2014, and I will be joined uh, by uh, Juan of the Lion Marks, um, one of the the husband and wife team of of the the LionMarks.com that that do great translation work and and uh, all sorts of cool community stuff. Uh, he's going to be joining me to look at 2014 um, and the the infamous double main event switch and then that poll with Tetsuya Naito and uh, and Kazuchika Okada that set Naito off on his own direction. Did you vote in that poll, Chris? I did not, no. Oh. I think you, you had to go to like the ASI TV website and yeah, no, there was too much. The most there. famous poll in New Japan history. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, now there's, there's polls up the, the wazoo. It's, it's, you know, it's very in- instant now. We get like who, you know, who your picks are for the, for the G1 and you enter and it's like, oh, hooray, you can win a, win a tote bag or whatever. But, uh, yeah, back then in, in 2014, it was, um, yeah, go in to TV Asahi, make an account or whatever. So you can vote on this thing. It was much more complicated. It was like, it, just as as UStream evolved into New Japan World, I think I think like the social media team and like their their ability to make polls uh, also evolved <laughs> for the last five years. Uh, Maybe it's going to be revealed that the poll was hacked and Naito actually won the poll, and he's going to learn this, this revelation one day that the fans actually backed him to main event the Tokyo Dome. What a what a reverse of fortune that would be! And Naito has a sense of enlightenment, and he he fully embraces who he was to take him into his path to the future. I think like we can file that under like if Vince McMahon brooks <laughs> wrestling and then that probably would have been there. Okay. I don't know if Vince McMahon really understand Naito. Uh, it would, it would certainly be something, uh, maybe a video game option of uh, Vince McMahon running new Japan for one month. What, what would happen? Right. right yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, yes, this is going up. God, when's this going up on post? Kind of soon, I think. Like the, the week in- after next or so, as, as we're recording this, so early December. Yes, uh, I believe it will be out December the 8th, if I'm not mistaken. There you are. So uh, what's going on around early December in, in post wrestling land? Oh, boy. Well, uh, you can... I'll promote the fact that uh, Way has done a lot of great work launching our, our post-wrestling store. So if you want to get a, a wonderful gift for a loved one, there is no better way to say I love you than with a post-wrestling t-shirt. So go to store.postwrestling.com. And we're also going to have a bunch of year-end shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have our annual Christmas show that uh, I'm hoping Chris will join us for. Plus, we are going to have our best of and worst of shows and uh, lots to come. We'll have tons of Wrestle Kingdom coverage uh, coming up the, the week of January 4th. So postwrestling.com is where you can go. And the Patreon is postwrestlingcafe.com if you want even more from us. Wonderful. And of course, you can get Eggshells Pro Wrestling at the Tokyo Dome uh, from Amazon on paperback on digital uh also coming very very soon i think by the time this this comes out it'll, it'll be um hopefully imminent on audible as well dan the mouth Lorensky, um doing his best with with that Excellent. and um yes of course you can get to me at reason jp and we'll chat to you next time bye